might we create more space for curiosity, grace, and exploration in our work with young people? Today, I'm joined by life coach Courtney Harris to tease apart this question. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. Courtney Harris is a former educator of 10 years with her master's in special education. She lives in Austin, Texas and works in person and online with teens and parents as a life coach, helping young people and their families find their way back towards communication, connection, and trust. I so loved gathering Courtney's experience in a coaching role and considering how educators in the school context might benefit from some of her thinking as a coach. We get into the ways that adults can help students move away from black and white thinking, how to help young people who feel stressed about the pressure to have a career plan, and some practical strategies for helping young people open up in conversation. Courtney's perspective and wisdom are beyond inspiring, so let's jump right into my conversation with the lovely Courtney Harris. Welcome to the podcast, Courtney. It is so good to get to talk to you in person, live, and one-on-one. Why don't we just start by you telling everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. I'm super excited because I've been watching your work and loving what you're doing. So thanks for having me here. Um, I'm Courtney Harris. My pronouns are she and her, and I am a life coach for teens and parents. So in this role, I support young people and their families on establishing or rebuilding communication that, you know, is centered on connection, connection to the self, but also to one another and also to their community. Um, So that's the role that I play in my professional life. Um, I think you asked where I'm from. So I live in Austin, Texas, and I do work with clients here locally as well as virtually, which is super awesome that I can work with folks all over the country and even the world. And um, uh, yeah, I'm also from New Mexico. I like to share that. I'm very proud of my New Mexico heritage. And yeah, that's my that's my overall snapshot. Amazing. We're going to get into all the nitty gritty of all those things. Um, Let's start a little bit with you as a young person because you work with teens and I often joke that we often gravitate towards people who we, uh, you know, have that inner child still in our heart somewhere. Um, So who were you as a young person and what was school like for you growing up? I love that you already named the inner child aspect because that's going to come up today for sure. So yes. So a lot of, um, for me as a young person, I definitely was a highly sensitive child. I was an introvert, but the thing is I didn't know those labels. And so I actually felt super lost and super confused and alone, you know, and kind of isolated in those feelings, which now as an adult, those are things that I've totally reclaimed and actually consider part of my, the, the biggest parts of my gifts or like that these are my gifts. Um, so for me as, you know, as a teenager on paper, it was like, I was doing all of the things, all of the things being like, you know, mostly getting A's and I was doing sports, but I also did community service and I had a boyfriend and I had friends, right? So like, on paper, I was doing all the things, but inside I really felt quite lonely and I did not have the vocabulary to ask for help to anybody, to my friends, to teachers, to my parents. And I know that my parents 
knew something was up, but I also think they didn't quite have the vocabulary or the tools for connecting with me. And, you know, truthfully, I was pushing back pretty hard. So they didn't have a lot to work with. Um, and so for me, those years as a young person were, you know, a, a mixture of me being really sensitive and then also having this striving for perfectionism on top of just not knowing how to ask for help. Mm, I think culturally too, we've all just gotten so much wiser about the complexity of what does it mean to be an introvert? What does it mean to be sensitive? And like all of us all together have done so much work on figuring out how to be with young people who aren't, you know, outgoing all the time or maybe have different sides of themselves. I hear a lot of myself in what you were saying. Yes, absolutely. And I think part of it is like we're moving from this industrialized system, right? A lot of what we see in schools, a lot of what we see in our workplaces is based on industrialization. There's bells, there's passing periods, there's, you know, all this like structure and format. And that is meant to serve a certain purpose, but that's not meant to serve all needs and all people and all preferences. Mm -hmm. And so I think what, you know, what you're touching on is that we're in this phase of trying to figure out how do we make it a space that is, you know, it does work for people that identify as introvert and ex extrovert, you know, as highly sensitive and not. And so, yeah, I think we're, mm -hmm. we're in the midst of mixing it all up right now. Yeah, well said. Um, I love that you're on the show too, because you were a teacher for 10 years, you were in that system, um, and you stepped out of it and you get to work with young people and families in a really different way. And I, I mean, I'm really excited for some of the insights that you've learned from being in a different kind of adult role for young people. Um, but what do you see or what do you wish all adults understood about teenagers? Like if you could wave a magic wand and all teachers, all parents, all counselors, we could just like get one little nugget. What would you, what would you sprinkle on all of our brains? Gosh, I, I don't know if I can condense it to like one little message, but I guess the idea I'm thinking about is that teenagers need a lot of grace. And the reason that I think about this is because what I observe and what I hear from teenagers is that they're quite caught up into your career and your long-term life, but also slow down a little bit, right? Because if teens are asking for too much, um, what parents or adults might consider as too much or too adult, then it's like really slow down. So I see that teenagers are caught in this conundrum of, of be more adult, but also you're not that adult enough. And so that idea of like giving a lot of grace and allowing the space for curiosity and exploration, that is, that's kind of like the thing that I, I hope that parents and caregivers and supporters like teachers can bring into their practices. Did you need that as a young person? Like, do you feel like if you had a little bit more of that, you could thrive and blossom in a different way as a young person? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, for me, my parents, neither of them had gone to college. My dad since went to college and graduated, which was super exciting in okay. his 50s. Yeah, it was great to celebrate that. Um, but a lot of the rhetoric that I heard was kind of like, okay, you graduate or you do well in school. Then after school, you go to college. After college, you have a career. And it was like this, you know, here's move your game piece along the board. 
And I felt really perfectionistic about doing that and getting it done and achieving this thing that my parents hadn't done. And so I didn't feel the space for curiosity. I didn't really feel the space to like, you know, get to play around a little bit more with my ideas of who I am in the world. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that we need to give teenagers more grace to just really be in those years, not hurry up and get out of those years. I hope as more people realize that a college education, a university education doesn't guarantee success, that a lot of really amazing, successful people took a different route and a trajectory to get there. And I think we're all getting smarter about that. But I hope that, you know, parents can, and adults and teachers and school administrators can create that shared understanding. Like I remember feeling like if I don't go to university right out of high school, I'm never going to go or like it's a lost cause and that, you know, actually I probably would have done better with a gap year. I probably would have picked a university program that maybe reflected who I was going to become, not just who I was at 18. Like what could be possible? Totally. And I mean, I remember feeling pretty contrarian about it, you know, like why do I have to pick what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? I'm only 18, but I didn't even I felt like I still had sort of like tunnel vision of like, I'm only the only thing that I see. And the only thing that I can like look ahead to is college, even though I felt like resistance towards it. So, mm-hmm. but absolutely hoping that we can shift there. Yeah, I think, I think we will. I feel, yeah. I mean, but even I'm thinking about my own child and I'm like, oh, it would be really hard to have them decide just to move to Spain after high school <laughs> or something. I mean, yeah, the stakes yeah. do feel high, especially when yeah. everyone else is doing that one thing. So mm-hmm. we all have to collectively get better about that. Yes. Speaking of which though, I loved your post that you put up on Instagram uh, not too long ago where you said, your teen doesn't need to have a career plan. The human experience can't be neatly mapped out. Um, And I just, I want to pick your brain about this one because there's such a real tension that exists, like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and other parents that are doing this with their kids and pressure from even just children watching TV and being like, I have Mm -hmm. to become a doctor. So any teacher who are listening today that are mentoring young people and they're struggling either with either end of the spectrum, like young people who struggle with perfectionism or maybe even young people who struggle with even wanting to come up with a career plan, Mm -hmm. how could teachers help to shift this narrative for young people? And I know you don't have the answer, but let's pretend like you could. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you asked about it. And actually, ironically, I turned that Instagram post into a blog post and it published today. So when that's listening can go to CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com and look for, uh, it's called Dear Parents, Your Teen Does Not Need a Career Plan. And so it felt really important to write this post because lately as I've been in sessions with teens that I'm working with, I feel they're if I don't do this, then nothing. Like if I don't achieve this, if I don't get into this college, if I don't get, you know, if I don't get into this number one engineering program, you know, whatever the, the, this career plan is, the trouble with it is that it feels like it's so much all or nothing. And like you said, the culture, there's so much pressure around, you know, achievement. And I am all for, you know, rigorous and engaging curriculum and rigorous and engaging questions and, and encouraging youth to figure out 
what they're passionate about. Um, but it doesn't have to look the way that adults are telling teenagers the plan needs to look, right? So I think the paradigm shift is that, a, that the plan needs to come from the young person. The plan needs to be about their dreams, their passions, their interests. So yes, there's the idea and support around building a plan and having goals and having you know interests in the future, but that it doesn't have to look just one way, right? So I think the idea overall is broadening what the possibilities look like and encouraging, well, so let me pause there. The way that I think that can happen, because I think I'm talking about it at this like macro level, you know, of what the ideas and philosophy are. Um, but what I think that actually looks like is to talk to young people about what their internal compass is saying. You know, what are you really hearing and feeling from inside of you, not from outside of you? The, the teenage brain is wired to always be checking, like, what am I doing in comparison to people around me? It is, you know, developmentally typical for teenagers to be looking to the external world, to their peers and seeing what the norms are. However, or maybe even because of that, it's so important that we remind them to return, you know, to return to what's inside, to tune in to their inner knowing. And a lot of that in practical terms is like, implementing or adding in mindfulness practices, adding in journaling. Possibly, you know, I would I would invite teachers to explore alternative grading policies, self-reflection, self-assessment, you know, like these types of things, self, you know, using that word self-assessment, those are the the ways that I think teenagers can tune in and then that is going to affect how their thoughts and plans about the future look. Okay, number one, I just wish I knew you when I was a teenager and that somehow you're magically the age that you are now. Number two, I'm, it's just so common for young people, and I work with middle school students and you're working with a little bit older, that that black and white thinking I think is really, really neurotypical for that age. And adults and mentors and coaches have a responsibility to help you know, tease that out a little bit and help young people see all the other things. So maybe you don't get into this program you want, but these are all the other spaces between all or nothing. And it's yes. important that that gets coached with them. Cause I think even sometimes adults have black and white thinking or they mm -hmm. catastrophize with their children a little bit. Yeah. You know, as you're reflecting that back, what I'm also thinking about is something I often say more in relation to friendships but I feel like we have often been trained to be in this sort of lack mentality where there's not enough and that you have to, um, you, like we have to hurry up and snatch the opportunities and we have to be the person that gets to this, you know, to this, whatever milestone it is that we're thinking about. And when that's the mentality, when we think that there's not enough and when we set our standards to this one item, yes, there's going to be a lot of you know, disappointment, there's going to be a lot of not feeling enough. And so when we can just like, again, use the word broaden, when we can broaden our perspective and realize that there are a large range of opportunities, and there's going to be enough opportunities for everybody, then it really can shift even how we see our self-worth. Mm. Tell me a little bit about what brings most people to see you? Like, is there a often like a tipping point or something that like has just, you know, 
gone aflame in a family? Like, what do you notice as a trend brings most families to you? Well, I will be honest and say there's sort of a school year energy um, shift or like there's certain months that I know are busier as far as when I'm going to start getting a little bit more calls. September is one of those months because um, most people have been back in school for a little bit of time, a few weeks, and maybe the transition has been really hard. So I spend a lot of time with clients talking about and strategizing about transitions, whether that be from you know, morning to going to school, whether that be from weekend to school week, whether that be from summer to school year, right? And so that is a really big transition, the back to school year, um, back to school transition. And so a lot of parents will reach out because um, sometimes it's because the teenager is saying, hey, I'm super overwhelmed. I need help. I need, I need to talk to somebody. Other times it's the parents just really feeling the heaviness that is happening with their teenager. Maybe they're doing, you know, isolating a bit more, not wanting to go to school, having a lot of sick days, you know, those kinds of like sort of warning signs where the parent is seeing that they're not engaging and they're not really sure why. Um, those are, so those are kind of, that's one common, you know, time of the year and when a type of, I guess you could say challenge a family is facing. I do work, there's a lot of friendship that comes up. Um, middle school and high school, particularly, you know, youth that are just feeling not very connected, they're feeling lonely. Maybe they have a social group, but they're not feeling super connected and they don't know why. A lot of times that's introverts that are trying to figure out how to honor themselves in this very like stimulating world and stimulating school environment. Um, and yeah, I think I, I've touched on a lot of the major, the major parts, but I, one thing I haven't talked about so much yet is I also do parenting coaching. Mm -hmm. So I also am supporting parents who are trying to figure out how do I, how do I play this role that is supportive where I'm offering, you know, I have an open door. I want to talk about all the tough things, but I also have limits and I need to know how to put those into place. So oftentimes working with parents who are trying to be really thoughtful about what their parenting looks like. Amazing. Draw a Venn diagram for me for my mind, because I'm curious about the overlap between a therapist a life coach, and maybe a tutor. Because I could imagine a family having a struggle, like you were describing the September struggles, and them kind of trying to navigate like, okay, do we get a tutor because math is hard for you? Or do we get a life coach because you need somebody to coach you through this? Or do we get a therapist? Like, Where do those circles overlap and where are they distinct? Love that question. So the overlap of all three, I think would be relational because none of them are going to work if a relationship is not built and established and rapport is built. And everyone listening knows that as teachers, right? Relationship, it's like nothing else falls into place if we don't have that foundation. Um, so that's an overlap is the relational component. With therapy and coaching, you know, I think that both of these practices are looking at patterns and exploring how the pattern is working and how the pattern is not working. Some of the differences when I'm looking at those two would be that therapy can tend to have a little bit more of a dig into the past, a little bit more looking at 
what happened in childhood, where, you know, where are these patterns coming from on a deeper level? They also, you know, therapy might involve more looking at the whole family system and doing more family system deep dive into the past. And of course, you know, anytime I'm working with clients as a coach, we do address the past because, you know, that happens for all of us. Anytime we're talking about where we are, we also bring up parts of our, our past history, but we tend to look a bit more future. So coaching will tend to be more focused on goal setting, looking towards the future. Where are we going? You know, how do we get there? Where do we want to be, et cetera? You know, that said, there's going to be a lot of, there are many therapists that have more of a coaching approach or that have, you know, added in more coaching. So some therapists might work very similarly to the way I just described coaching. Um, Of course, another big difference to point out is that my work is not clinical. So I do work with clients who identify as being anxious or depressed, but if and when it feels like it's more of a clinical situation, I refer to a therapist. Um, and then to hit on the last, the third part of the Venn diagram, the tutoring, my background is in special education. I have a master's in special education. So I do draw a lot, you know, a lot of my training in regards to learning and learning styles comes into coaching. And so I do see an overlap as far as just how to work, you know, with the brain and how to create new strategies. Um, as well, you know, one thing, another overlap is, yes, some of what we're doing it, it definitely involves executive functioning. You know, it's about planning. It's about accountability. But the one distinction that I'm quite happy about these days is I don't do academics. So <laughs> if you want to tell me about the amazing literature that you're reading and we want to bring literature into our work because it is something I love and I have like shelves full of YA fiction still and always reading YA fiction. Um, we can definitely bring that in, but we're not doing, you know, five paragraph essays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that summarizes it. Yeah, that's actually really helpful because I think some parents, even just when I've talked to them, they don't know how or who they should go to for help. So that even just yeah. clarifies it for me. And even, you know, guidance counselors listening, who they should find to refer parents to. I'm really curious about that transition that you made out of teaching into coaching. Um, I think that a lot of teachers have, you know, fantasy other lives of like, okay, one day I'll do this other thing. What was that like for you to just say, okay, I'm done teaching now. Now I'm going to leap into this new unknown territory. It was a lot muddier than that, actually. But, um, <laughs> Jumping into a mud puddle of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. So I think, well, what happened initially is I knew that... I was teaching basically my dream class. My last year in public school, I was teaching my dream class, social and emotional learning, which I said is the AKA how to be human class. I love that. It was super incredible because I didn't actually have to follow a super scripted curriculum or anything like that. It was very organic and I worked closely with a team of five other teachers and we were teaching what felt true to our hearts, um, you know, as teachers, and we were incorporating the castle standards. So the collaborative for academic, social and emotional learning standards, but it was a very organic process. And we we're also teaching restorative practices, which are near and dear to my heart. Um, and so when I was teaching that class, I really was super passionate and super in love, but I was super tired. And I knew that in the midst of teaching this dream class, 
that I, as an introvert, empath, highly sensitive person was having a hard time making my life sustainable in that career, I was like, I, I have to take a break. I have to figure out what is going to happen next in my life um, in order for the work that I love to be sustainable. So at that time, I transitioned into working privately for a family as a family family manager and nanny because it was important for me to stay, stay plugged into working with youth. Um, and so that was great because I actually got to dig deeper into the practices and working with parents because I was doing some parenting coaching. I was doing some working with the entire family to create new systems. And that was helpful for me because my background as a special educator did involve partnering with parents, but it was partnering in such a limited way, you know, partnering on just the academic focus. And you're not in their house. I assume as a family manager, which I didn't even know existed, you Mm -hmm. were like embedded into their routines as a family. Totally. Yes. And so that is it was a really valuable experience because it helped me learn some of these pieces that I suspected or was getting insight on as a teacher, but I was getting this like up close in personal in the family system perspective. And so that is what kind of like got me going um, on this track. And basically, you know, to distill it down, what actually happened is I was acting as a mock client for my friend as she was, she was becoming a health coach, a health and wellness coach. And so she asked me to be like, you know, have a mock session with her. And the way she was asking me questions, this light bulb just went off and I was like, wow, I'm a coach. I am a coach for kids. This is what I do. The way that we were in this conversation just felt very familiar to me. And so I remember after the session was finished, I told her, I'm like, Hey, I just have to tell you, thank you so much because you just changed my career path, you know? So, so yeah, um, then it went from nannying and I also then had worked part-time as a learning specialist. So primarily working with, um, young kiddos that had learning disabilities, um, to then starting my business. And so those two happen at the same time. I was still teaching part-time while starting my business and it's just been one year that I've been only working on my business and not in a school. Oh, amazing. So congratulations. It's kind of new-ish in a way. It is, yes. Uh, Okay, so tell me a little bit about the most inspiring or like sparkly moments that you've experienced with young people in the last year or even the last several years as you've been transitioning into this. Um, What are some really wonderful nuggets that you've taken away with you about changes or transformation that you've created for either a teen or a parent or a whole family? Gosh, well, a lot of different things come to mind, but I think this will feel like resonant for teachers, but there's sort of this thing where maybe it's usually between the third and the fifth session of meeting with the teen where there's just this flow, this feeling of flow where they feel comfortable and they know how they want to utilize the space um, because we've been building the rapport and it's like they show up and they're like, all right, I need to talk about this and I need to talk about this. And they kind of come in with their list and you can tell they've learned how to reflect on their week and they've learned how to like kind of distill what's happened down to this sort of, you know, focus that they want to look at. And I think, you know, teachers notice that, you know, that moment where you look around your classroom and you're like, oh, they're running the classroom. They don't really need me. Like they need you and they want you there, 
but they've, they've taken on like the classroom culture, the systems, and they're kind of like, you know, they're doing it without you having to be, um, at the same level of active, right? They're and so, empowered. They're yeah, totally they're empowered. empowered. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the moment that I just really love. And that is part of, you know, when I talk to parents, I do ask for us to be, to make an intention to work together for three months because we need to allow for that process to really unfold. Um, so that's just kind of like a general thing that came to mind. Um, but I think you're also asking about more specific sort of moments and, uh, stories, kind of anecdotes to share. So one that came to mind is towards the very beginning of this work, I was working with a family that was having a hard time communicating within the family. So what they wanted to focus on more was for the parents to be able to understand where the tween was coming from, like what was going on because they, everyone was just shutting down. Right. Um, so this, this client, what we learned is that he worked best while we were shooting basketball hoops because we had, you know, we were doing sort of parallel, which is something that's really helpful. Sometimes face to face can be really hard for some young people. You feel like too much pressure, but as being in a more parallel position, which for parents can often be riding in the car, sitting on the couch, those kinds of things. But for us to just be like shooting basketball hoops created a lot of space for this young person. And we were able to then start creating a communication system, which was really awesome. We used different colors. They meant different things so that when this young person was not able to voice exactly what was going on, they could use the color system to signal to the parents. And the parents then agreed to, you know, offer the 20 minute break or to like help the kid get a snack. Right. So we, we bridged the gap in their communication. And that was something that just, really inspired me because they took it on and I saw it changed a lot for the family. Hmm. I just, I love the idea of just doing an activity with somebody to elicit conversation. Like it's Mm -hmm. less pressure than sitting in a chair, looking at someone's face. Like I think even if teachers took that on too, like go for a walk with a student or go, you know, draw something with them. So you don't have to look at each other's face. And I, I totally get that. I feel like I open up more when I'm not directly in front of somebody. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I've brought that in, in a bunch of different ways. Like sometimes we'll make like lavender spray bottles in session, or sometimes we go on a walk and yeah. So I think being, being flexible is a really important part of my practice. And it's something that I do teach parents and about, and I love that you're, you know, also bringing it into the classroom and yeah, I think, you know, like you said, even just those sort of moments where you can check in with what a young person is already doing and meet them where they are is super important. And that's, you know, that's the type of flexibility I do bring into my practice as well. Okay. So let's imagine that you were going to go back to the classroom, having all this knowledge and all this experience as a coach and seeing young people in this really different, intimate way. What do you think would change about who Courtney is as a teacher if you were to go back in the classroom tomorrow? Gosh, I mean, well, hopefully I could go back to teaching social and emotional learning because it's the most fun and it would really just be such a compliment to the work that I do in my practice. Um, gosh, what would be different? I think- like would you abolish grades? Would you you know, make your class sizes half as big. Like, let's say you had tremendous power here. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. Yes. I would not have a class over 15 for sure. I love, I love working with small groups. That's ideal for me. And I see that being ideal for, for young people. So yeah, max, max class size would be 15. I would definitely have more flexible scheduling. Um, I, my last few years of teaching, I was in a school that had block scheduling where the classes were 90 minutes instead of 50 minutes. I highly prefer that. I love that. I love being able to have kind of different modalities of teaching within the classroom environment. So I would definitely advocate for that and continue that. Um, I mean, obviously outdoor classrooms and, you know, having, I think flexible seating that my friends that are teaching, I never actually established this in any classrooms when I was teaching, but my friends that have done donors choose projects or gotten tons of donations um, or just, you know, spent their own paychecks creating flexible seating and having different types of arrangements in the classroom and allowing for different types of small group settings, I would definitely do that. Um, I had a pretty awesome library. I would build up my library again, of course, because I do think that books are a way that youth can connect and feel community and, and feel heard and seen. What else would I do? I mean, I never did this, but I'll just like say it. I really never lectured and I would just continue to not lecture. <laughs> mm -hmm. You've got the spirit of a coach from day one. Yes. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Those are all really great ideas and suggestions. And I think that more teachers are moving towards that kind of teacher as coach model. And like the more that we can do to kind of shift the classroom away from that factory, everyone's on a conveyor belt kind of model the more mm -hmm. everyone thrives and teachers too. Like I, I think totally. even just like reading through some of your literature on Instagram, it was so affirming to me the idea of adults needing to practice self-care too. And I think the yes. classroom you're describing is, you know, wellness for teachers too. Yes. Yes. I agree with that completely. I think that, you know, we're, we're honoring ourselves when we're, when what we're practicing every day is like, you know, what feels true to us, not what a system has told us to do, it's better for everybody. And mm -hmm. hopefully in the long run is, is more sustainable for everybody. Yeah. Because teaching, I mean, they say that after five years, most people stop being a teacher. Like that's the cutoff yeah. for a lot of people. And that's where most people just burn out. I mean, I've gone through, now I'm at 10 years, I'm like it gets easier in the next five yes. years um, because you just develop better systems. But teacher burnout is so, it is so hard. I feel like teachers need a life coach like you in their life, in their corner, like somebody just to call up and say, let me, let me work through this with somebody who knows a classroom. Yes, absolutely. And I think one big piece of that, which I guess I could be part of my answer to your last question is, you know, teaching can be quite isolating when you're the adult in a room all day, and then you leave the room and you might peek out and you see your neighbors, but you may not really truly connect and may not get to go to some of the deeper levels and, and debriefing. And um, I think that schools do have some systems in place. You know, schools I was at, we had PLCs or the professional learning communities, but it's quite hard because you're still being asked to do so many, like this laundry list of tasks that are mandated things. So the community building aspect is the bottom of the barrel, right? It's, it's, that's, <laughs> to just sit and have 45 minutes to process how the week has been or how the quarter has been is not prioritized. Um, and so 
you know, that is something that I'd like to see changed and for teachers to really have community with one another and, and not feel the, the pressure of all these other mandates. That's yeah. I, th- I think that's really important. And I feel like there's been a change in the way that people think about teacher wellness and that more people are seeing that when teachers are well, the students thrive. Like it all, I mean, it's trickle down. I don't love that term, but I feel like when teachers are happy, when teachers are thriving, when parents are happy, when parents are thriving, children do well. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's the health of the whole system. Yeah, exactly. So let's change our gears and look at the ticket out the door. So it's just a series of rapid fire questions. Can't prepare for it. Try to answer as fast as you possibly can. And it's like the last little morsel of learning that we're collecting on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your favorite YA book? Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. So I love Rainbow Rowell. How do you say her last name? Yeah, that's how I say it. Yeah, I love um, Carry On and gosh, what are the other books? Oh my gosh. Park. Oh my gosh. Fangirl. Fangirl, yes. So love, love, love. Um, Oh gosh, there's others. Yeah, that was the first that came to mind. So we're, oh, Gabby, A Girl in Pieces. Ooh, I haven't read that one. It's beautiful. It has like a mini zine inside of it and it's definitely an identity story and oh, it's, it's really beautiful. It has connection to like body image, body positivity. It's great. Amazing. I will check that out, put it on my list. What's the best gift that you ever received from a young person? I mean, my like genuine answer. I just, I just had a picture of being in this garden with young people. So one of my dear friends, Laurel and I ran a a community service club called shock students helping our community. And along with another one of our colleagues, Dan, we set up a garden at our school and I just felt like, yeah, their presence was the best gift. Oh, that's lovely. What's your favorite school safe snack? Hmm. Um, I used to do fresh fruit, fresh fruit Fridays in my very first class. And that was so fun because, um, or fresh food Fridays, I don't know, because every time we'd all like learn a new food or learn, you know, a new way to eat a certain food. And it just felt fun to be exploring together. I love that. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Oh, well, always go to the bathroom, brush my teeth. And then after I've taken those, you know, self-care steps, um, typically start boiling water for my matcha tea. Not long after that, admittedly, checking Instagram. Yeah, I love it. It's what we all do eventually. Uh, What's the last thing you do before you fall asleep? Reading. Yep. Mm. Definitely reading. If you could tell anything to yourself as a teenager, what would you say? The one I always return to for this is you are enough. Hmm. You know, when, you know, when you started towards the beginning with that inner teen or inner child, we're always like as adults working to heal and often putting ourselves in these places where we're continuing to heal. Um, for me, it's, it's always the you are enough story. So. What is your favorite movie? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I have one. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of movies. I used to fall asleep all the time. Um, I watch more TV. But okay. Favorite TV show. <laughs> um, what is my favorite TV show? Oh, I loved the, recently I loved sex education. Yes. Um, that was 
amazing and just yes to more of that. <laughs> so well done. It was so beautiful. So well but how does England look so lush and green and sunny <laughs> all the time? Like I have this misconception that it's like gray and rainy. I'm like, this is almost too beautiful. Yes. Too beautiful. Uh, what would be your last meal? Oh, I always eat yogurt with nut butter and banana. Last would, meal on earth. That would be like the would, thing you would do. Yeah, I love. So I simple and elegant. Over and over again. It's so good. <laughs> okay, and finally, the question that we asked to close the show is, what do you hope is the future of learning? Yeah, oh gosh. <laughs> representation, like actual, genuine, real representation on all levels. Um, from our politicians and the folks making policy about education to the books that we read. So final question is where can people find you? Like how, what are the easiest channels that people can track you down and learn more about who you are and what you do? So Instagram, Facebook, and website are all the same. Courtney Harris coaching. So Courtney Harris, sometimes people think I'm saying a different name. It's H-A-R-R-I-S, not Paris, like the city. So Courtney <laughs> Harris Coaching. I'm very active on Instagram, love Instagram, have a lot of story highlights on all different topics that I cover um, that really go beyond parenting. So I encourage listeners to check that out. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. And I'll put a link in the show notes to all those uh, places so people can find you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're even more delightful in person than you are online. I can't even imagine oh. like how lucky your young people are that they get to work with you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing here. I really appreciate your show. I am so grateful that people like Courtney exist for young folks in the world and that she was so generous in our conversation. If you want to find Courtney or get links to some of the things mentioned in this episode, there are show notes up on the blog at cohort21.com slash teaching tomorrow. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Jump into the conversation over on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow, or most relevantly, share this episode with a friend. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep finding this space to be curious. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.